everyone, and welcome to Third Extra Lives, the podcast. I'm your host, Tom Lynch. And this week, we're going to talk about Zelda and the legend thereof. Uh, the history of Legend of Zelda series goes back to the Nintendo Entertainment System. But what we're more interested in today is the newest iteration of the series, Breath of the Wild. Now, I've been playing that on the Switch for, <laughs> I believe the last hour count was over 70 hours. Uh, I know a lot of people put in more time in it a lot faster than me, but for me, playing a non-JRPG game, the idea that that's a number that I even see on a screen as how much I've put in is pretty new. So, the Breath of the Wild is is kind of nothing short of a, a masterpiece in open-world game design. And really, that journey for Zelda started back in Ocarina of Time. For the Nintendo 64. Now that's 20 years ago? In 1998? Just shy of 20 years ago? And what they were trying to do there, and I remember being blown away by it, the idea that you're just, you know, you're in Hyrule and you run around this world and you can do whatever you want. And and that's, you know, what we knew of as an open world game. Uh, Of course, going back to it years later, you kind of see the seams there. Like, really, there's nothing to do in Hyrule Field. There's a couple little, you know, enemies pop up at night. There's the uh, the stable where you get Epona. But once you get Epona, there's not much else to do there. You know, a handful of quests. But really, it's just a hub to get you from one piece of the world to the next. And, you know, a lot of that was probably because of the limitations of the hardware. You know, there's only so much you can do, um, but it did a great job of hiding loads, and it was a revolutionary game in, in many ways. Now, the the open world as a uh, as a thing where you look off in the distance and, you know, the developer likes to go, see that mountain over there? You could go to that mountain. And that's something we've heard for years now. But the first time I really heard about it and, like, really was struck by it, was uh, a couple years after Ocarina of Time, actually, on uh, the PlayStation 2. 2001, from developer Naughty Dog, Jack and Daxter. I remember reading about the streaming technology they were using to avoid having to ever load. And, uh, and you know, we're talking about different generations of console. So it's obviously not a, you know, apples-to-apples comparison, but Ocarina had loading times, obviously. I mean, you can't not have that on, on, on that hardware. But for Jack and Daxter, it was a, it was kind of a revelation to just run around the world and, and have no reason to ever stop. Like, there's no hitting an area and then watching a loading bar come across. And I just want to throw it out there. Jack and Daxter is really good. That I mean, even that whole trilogy, I mean, 2 and 3, they become slightly different games. But that first Jack and Daxter is, oh, if you like Crash Bandicoot and you're excited about this re-release coming up, go play Jack and Daxter. It's... Oh, it's so good. It's so good. So anyway, back to Zelda. So I'm, I'm just going to touch on a couple of the entries here uh, because I don't think all of them are necessarily important. And also not all of them have I played through, so I can't really comment appropriately. But 2002, a year after Jack and Daxter comes out, Legend of Zelda The Wind Waker arrives on GameCube. And I feel like that's their first if Ocarina of Time is the first step the next step is Wind Waker 
because that truly gave you a world with things to do in it. And, and sure, a lot of people have, you know, again, similar Ocarina of Time, you kind of go back to it, and there's a lot of time just spent sailing from one place to the next. There's not much to do in the ocean as you're running around. And uh, aside from the fact that it sounds cool and it looks cool, you know, you're not going to run into too much out there until you get to the islands and actually, like, do the activity in that island. But even so, that gave you a bigger world to run around in. So so instead of having just, you know, a hub Hyrule field and then you're, you know, you're going off to Mount Doom or you're going to your, you know, water area or the forest... Uh, now it's, it's a, a matter of just sailing to wherever you want to go. Like kind of everything's open to you from the start. Obviously, you know, it does follow traditional Zelda idea where you have to get, you know, let's say the boomerang to get into, you know, this next dungeon. You can't do the dungeons out of order, but it, it's a huge step towards Breath of the Wild. So when Breath of the Wild comes along, there's no order to the dungeons. There's no... There's almost no dungeons in the classic sense. It's it's you're not doing a dungeon that's going to take you an hour or two with a big boss at the end, and then you come out with the new weapon to go and take on the next dungeon. Uh, in Breath of the Wild, and I'll you know I'll I'll stay relatively vague because you know I know people are sensitive to spoilers about uh, especially Zelda games, but the. The dungeons are, there aren't that many of the dungeons. They're pretty clearly, you, like, you know what you're getting into when you get there. I think they're pretty well-designed puzzles, but they don't take all that long, and the bosses kind of, you know, I don't know. I don't think the bosses are all that great. I've heard people uh, really enjoy them. Uh, not not all of them for me. But what really stands out to me is that, you know, sure, the dungeons are there, and, and you know, you do it to complete it, but instead of having, you know, a dungeon with you know 30 rooms and 25 puzzles instead you're finding these shrines throughout the world and each one of them is its own room and puzzle and out of each shrine you get a uh what is it called i don't even know what it's called spirit orb i think and when you get four of those you trade that in for a, either a heart piece or a piece of stamina now this system i like way better than just finding the heart pieces in the world because i feel like i could never find enough of them and I, I suppose it's kind of the same thing. You're trying to find the shrines in the world. But the shrines are more integral to the way the game is designed. Like, they become your fast travel points. You have, a, like, a a sensor on your mini-map that'll kind of beep when you get near one. Like, there are things to help you towards a shrine, whereas with the heart pieces in the previous games, you're just you just find them. And if you miss them, you miss them. And that's that's all there is to it. So I vastly prefer these shrines and that whole system. Now the the stamina meter, I have mixed feelings on. I, I think it's interesting to do that, and I think it's good to have a kind of leveling up process. So you know something, and the way the stamina meter works is as you are holding the run button, or if you're climbing, the stamina meter drains. Stamina meter meter drains. So if you're running and it runs out, you just slow down for a second while it refills. But if you're climbing and it runs out, you fall. And you can climb up pretty much any surface. But if you're, you know, 90% of the way up and your stamina runs out, you're just going to fall, you know, smack the side of the mountain until you hit the bottom. 
Now, they do eventually give you, you can get some gear and, uh, and a special item that helps with climbing and, and kind of alleviates some of those issues. But you're still, you're still monitoring this meter. And it's, I, I think it gives a good push-pull to the climbing mechanic. But at the end of the day, it kind of makes it a little tiring, especially when you get really close and you fall. And it's like, well, either you jump and hope you make it, or you have to just take longer and just climb slower. And I understand why they have that, why they have that trade-off, but it doesn't feel like it's worth it. It doesn't enhance the game, I don't think, climbing slower. Um, especially when you're just on your own. Like if you're in, maybe if you're in battle, I understand like, oh, well, you don't have enough stamina. You can't climb that fast. You'll get hit by an arrow. But when you're on your own, just on the side of a mountain and it just runs out and you've got nothing to do, but try and, you know, wait for it to run out, sit there, let it refill and try again. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not huge onto that, but, and, and kind of, that's my big problem with the game. That is my only problem with the game I, I think it's they do an incredible job of when you're running around always having things in the world for you to do like very rarely are you running around are you running through an empty field and there's nothing you know if you're running through a field you look off to your right you'll see a, uh, a little environmental puzzle and that'll get you a Korok seed and you get enough Korok seeds and that'll give you an upgrade so you can add another spot to your inventory for one of your weapons uh, you know if it's not a Korok seed, there's some enemy camps around, kind of everywhere. And and a lot of those have chests associated with them. So if you can kill everyone in the camp, you get a chest. Sometimes you need a new weapon, and those guys have weapons. And it's just, there's there's very rarely a boring moment. And even if there aren't enemies and there aren't environmental puzzles, the game looks great. And when you're getting up into, let's say, the mountains, you see tons of moose and arctic foxes, and it's just fun to run around and look at stuff, take pictures. It just does a really good job of building a world and making you feel like it exists, like it's lived in. Now, <laughs> to kind of back up a little bit, part of the structure of the game, and like I talked about before, you're not getting the items from the... Uh, Oh my god, my brain is shutting off today. You're not getting the items from, you know, your dungeons, but you do four shrines up front and then that's it. Like you have your your repertoire for the rest of the game. And I think it's that's a really cool way to go and it's kind of a natural extension of what they did in um in a link between worlds where they let you kind of take the dungeons out of order and like rent an item as you wanted it. And I love Link Between Worlds, you know, once again, if, if you like video games, you should play Link Between Worlds right after you finish Jack and Daxter. Um, and I, I think it's a smart way to go with it because Zelda had become so formulaic that I had lost interest in them after a while. And, and Breath of the Wild really, like seeing that starting to come out, really kind of reignited my interest in the series. So I'm, you know, I <laughs> don't want to get ahead of myself, but I'm curious what in the world they would do next. I assume they'd continue down this path, but I don't know. Um, but yeah, like with the open world premise, it also really doesn't stop you from doing anything. You know, I, I did not play Skyward Sword, but the one 
criticism that I read and saw everywhere was that it takes hours to get into the game. It, it is holding your hand to a tremendous degree. And Breath of the Wild goes so far in the opposite direction. You can finish, you know, that opening plateau. I mean, for me, it took, you know, an hour or two of kind of learning the world and, and figuring it out. But, you know, you look at the speedrunners out there and they finish that thing in minutes. Like, no problem. It's it's interesting that... And then once you're done that, like, there's no more... The story is there if you want to find it. But it, it's... The world is yours. You go do what you want to do. And that's a that's a new thing for a Zelda game. And I think it's good. I think it's it's important. And you know we'll be seeing games in the next few years kind of taking lessons from this game and, and applying it to new things, which uh, I'm excited to see. Um, but... With, <laughs> on the other hand, with the story being so minimal in the game, not holding your hand at all, when it does actually try to tell the story, it's kind of hardly there. Um, the The story that they are telling is very interesting for a Zelda game. It's a very different type of story. It's not your classic, you know, Ganon has awoke. Here, Link, here's the Master Sword, go kill him before he takes over it's it's um it plays on your expectations of that story and then tells a very different one in place of it and uh over the weekend i accidentally defeated ganon um that was a (laughs) so i i managed to get into hyrule castle and i figured you know ah you know i'll look around i'll uh I'll go into some of the castle, I'll check out the dungeon, and then right before the final boss fight, I'll just pop out and keep running around the world doing stuff. It turns out when you get... The the door that I thought was the opening to a sort of dungeon was just the opening to the final boss fight. So that uh, that I wasn't ready for. But, you know, having having finished that and having taken care of the main story parts, although I think I still have a memory outstanding I need to get, there's kind of the the most dis- disappointing part of that game is the story and it's because they don't the, the setup is so interesting and so cool and so different that they it's a real bummer that they don't really give themselves times to capitalize on it so i know they've got dlc coming maybe something in that will you know add, give us a little more story um but i really wish which we could have gotten more on that. Um, but overall, the game is just, it's really good. You know, it's one of those things you pick up and you go, all right, you know, I'll just do a shrine real quick and you'll start running to the shrine and then you'll see something out of the corner of your eye and turn there and and then you'll run over there and go like, oh, well, there's this mountain that I've never been to before. Maybe I'll go up top of that and then you go up top of the mountain and there's a Korok puzzle up there. So you do that and then you go to turn to your shrine. But on your way to turn to your shrine, you realize there's, you know, a busted down encampment on the other side of the mountain. It's like, well, you should check that out. There might be something cool there. And then you hop down there, and then suddenly you've got three, four, five, twenty-five side quests. You never made it to the shrine you actually wanted to make it to, and you've been playing for five hours. It's it's one of it's a game that does the open world so well. And, and and the way the map works and the towers work only enhance that. 
So basically, when you climb a tower, you know, you know, Assassin's Creed, Far Cry, uh, whatever you know, open world game you want to think about, you climb a tower and it fills your map with icons. You know, that fills in the area and lets you know where everything is. With Zelda, it just fills in your map, and that's it. It's up to you to actually use the height advantage to look around, you know, use your binoculars and mark off areas that look interesting to go to. And what it does is it it empowers the player and really, really adds an extra layer of strategy and and like research and forethought that other open world games gave up in 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 the favor of you know uh, easiness for the for the player. So it's super refreshing to get pop into this game you know, hop up a tower and go like, okay, fill in everything I need to do here and then realize it fills in nothing. And then you have to look and like, oh, there's a shrine there. I can mark that. Oh, there's a shrine there. Like, that looks cool. I'll go there. And the only way you're ever going to get an item to show up on your map, like through the UI, is if you get a side quest. And only the side quests that aren't mysteries will give you an actual destination. So, for instance... There is a side quest to take pictures of uh, of some artifacts around the world, and there it tells you there are three of them around the world, and they're in these three areas. But when you try and put that, set that, you know, uh, the side quest as your waypoint, it just shows you where you turn it in. So it does a really smart job of never really pointing you directly where you need to go and making you explore. And it's just it, the way it does it is. It feels so fresh, like after years and years of playing, you know, open world games, you know, dating back to Jack and Daxter and you think of games like Grand Theft Auto 3. And I mean, even if you want to go before that, Grand Theft Auto 1 and 2 and, uh, you know, other games have done open world games. But this is the first that it really feels new. And, you know, leave it up to Nintendo to take an idea that's been around for years and turn it on its head uh you know it's why they do what they do it's why i have a switch because i know i'll get four or five more games just like that that will push boundaries Uh, i'm bummed that the game didn't make it out on the wii u with the wii u functionality they had built into it i mean it's when you boot up the game and you get that sheikah slate i don't know how anyone plays those first five minutes and doesn't go oh that's a wii u gamepad like so clearly it's it was meant to be the Wii U gamepad and you were supposed to look down and see your map. So when they decided to do for the Switch, they had to rip all of that functionality out. I wish we could have seen what that game was because uh, it sounds interesting. I, I think they would have done a good job with the Wii U, but the version we got worked out pretty well. Okay, so I think that is going to do it. Uh, you know, ringing endorsement from here at 30 Extra Lives for Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild. Um, so you can find me on Twitter at TLynch117. We are everywhere on the internet at 30extralives.com. Uh, if you want to check out the podcast page specifically, it's 30extralives.com slash podcast. Uh, and also at 30 Extra Lives, we post web comics every Monday and Friday. And then our sister site, thecathoalwaysdies.com, 
I did not mean for those two sites to rhyme. I came up with them separately, years apart. Uh, we post comic every Wednesday, so we've got your uh, we've got your back when you want stuff to do, except for Thursdays, which is something I'll be working on shortly. So thanks everyone for tuning in. I've been Tom Lynch for ThirdActualives.com, and you've been awesome.